Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. B2B marketing is broken, and our guest today is on a mission to fix it. Today, I chat with Jason Bradwell, an experienced B2B marketer. He also writes a newsletter called B2B Bytes and has a podcast called B2B Better. We chat about how you should start your B2B strategy, TikTok for B2B, and why creativity and creative is a competitive advantage in B2B. Look forward to you hearing this episode. I've got to say, I'm a big fan of what Decibel is doing. It's hard to get in front of the right customers with audio advertising. But with Decibel's advanced targeting, you can do exactly this and at scale. Throw in a powerful conversion pixel, plus human or AI voices, and this is a platform you'll need. Visit decibelads.com and launch your campaign in less than five minutes using code millennials. For a hundred dollars in credits, that's decibelads.com. Hey Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey Dan, how's it going? Good, good. I I want to start off and just ask you, how did you get into marketing? What's your experience like? And then we could get into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, absolutely. So quite an unconventional path into a marketing career, like a lot of folks out there. I originally went to university here in the UK to study drama and theatre with every ambition of going out there and becoming a director uh, or potentially an actor. Uh, very quickly realised uh, on graduating that it wasn't going to be for me. I just didn't have the, the grit for it. But fortunately, a lot of the skills that I managed to pick up, the soft skills, whether they were improvising or talking in a room of people when you're not quite sure what you're, what you're saying storytelling, things of that nature, set me up well to get a sales job for a very small boutique consultancy in the online video space. Um, we were just selling a research tool and on the side I was writing for their blog. And then we ended up uh, launching a trade magazine as well on the side for that business. I started writing for and editing the trade magazine and that kind of led me into the world of, uh, world of marketing. From there, I went and took a PR and comms job for a B2C brand in the in the cycling space, um, which was really great fun. I traveled the world, met a lot of amazing athletes. Um, I just picked up a completely different skill set to what I do currently, which is in B2B marketing. And uh, yeah, for the last five years, I've been working in enterprise tech for a global company. Uh, we've got 1,000 people, 18 offices across the globe, and I run everything to do with marketing in that business from uh, demand gen, content, PR comms, events, and what have you. So uh, yeah, bit of a windy path, but uh, glad to be where I am today. How did the B2C part set you up for being good at B2B? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, if you spend any time in kind of marketing circles, uh, particularly B2B marketing circles, you will hear very quickly that, you know, B2B marketing needs to think more like B2C marketing. And, you know, there's the, the term everyone uses, it's all, it's all human to human. I agree with that statement. You know, you are obviously marketing to a human, whether it's, you know, for a consumer brand or a business brand, but there are other factors at play when you're 
when you're selling to to a B2B buyer, whether that's you know the length of time they're going to take to make a decision, whether that's the amount of money they're going to spend, um, whether how, how many stakeholders they've got to convince internally. But ultimately, you know, you've got to get their attention first, right? And particularly when you're working in B2B tech, there is a lot of competition out there in, in, in most industries, particularly if you're working with a kind of commoditized solution, productivity software, for example, you know, there's thousands of tools out there that, you know, promise to make you more productive. You've got to do something to stand out from the crowd. You've got to do something to cut through the noise. And I think working for two and a half years, three years for that consumer brand, um, which was a, a bike cleaning product, you know, we had to work really hard to kind of convince our customers that we weren't just soap, um, that we actually were more of a more of a lifestyle. You know, a clean bike is a happy bike. The cleaner your chain is, the farther and harder you're going to be able to ride. And that led itself to creating some, you know, amazing content that we shot all over the globe, sponsoring and working with uh, amazing athletes, you know, whether that was then Team Sky or Danny McCaskill or, or whatever. And uh, we just adopted a, a very creative and in-your-face approach, which I think when I transitioned over to B2B, it made it much easier for me to have conversations with superiors where you know, we weren't just saying, how can we create a, a white paper or how can we send out a vanilla press release? You know, How can we do something that's actually going to capture the, the hearts and minds of our potential customers and get them on that buying journey? I know you're really passionate about B2B now and you have your podcast and a newsletter and you talk about a lot. How do you go about thinking about B2B strategy? Like when you're trying to implement it, like what are the first st steps you think about when you're going to implement a B2B strategy? I think it always comes back down to who are you trying to market to and you know, how do they want to buy from you? You know, you rewind 10, 15, 20 years ago uh, the, the options that were available to buyers when it came to evaluating and selecting a new tool to solve, you know, or a solution, I should say, to solve the problem that they had were incredibly limited, right? They would have to go to a big booth trade show halfway across the world and walk up and down the halls, you know, speaking to vendors and getting the hard pitch because the internet didn't exist. There was no other way for them to get that information. You know, now in 2022, B2B buyers can go on a social media, they can join online communities, they can connect with people who have already used the product or service and have developed an opinion on it independent of whatever the organization will tell you themselves. And, you know, you can do a lot more of that selection and evaluation well in advance of ever picking up the phone and speaking to a salesperson at that company and getting to grips with what that journey looks like for your average B2B buyer is where any strategy needs to start. I mean, we're recording today on the day that ProfitWell has announced their, their $200 million acquisition by, by Paddle. You know, ProfitWell have done a phenomenal job of building a media company uh, over the last four or five years, investing in web TV shows and doing drops and, you know, souping up a van and traveling across America and talking to amazing guests. That sounds really exciting and fun. It's worked for profit well. Is that going to work for you and your buyers and your your B two B company? You know, maybe, maybe not. But it starts with the research and finding out. I think that part a lot of people miss. They just want to go and, especially, they just assume that the their buyers are going to do this because they've done it before or 
this market's like this because I've seen it before, um, or I've done this at a previous company. It should work here. It's just very interesting that people just don't take the extra time to just put in the the effort to just learn that before they start anything. Exactly, and I mean, you know, you read an article every day, which is the playbook for x right the the content marketing playbook for b2b companies or the pr playbook for b2b marketing companies or b2b companies the reality is is that marketing is not and should not ever be considered cookie cutter because then it becomes a commodity every company has their own unique sets of challenges and aspirations and buyers that have a specific way of wanting to evaluate and select products and some of the core principles maybe the same and transferable you know across organizations but i think it is dangerous to go into a business and assume that you know what's worked for others or what's worked for me and other companies is going to work here you've got to start with the research you've got to start at that foundation and really get under the hood it comes down to one thing is a human being isn't cookie cutter there's no cookie cutter human being uh, there are cookie cutter houses but there's no no one human being or audience is a cookie cutter you can't just copy and paste it they're different so i think that's a great point right now what is the greatest challenge you see in b2b marketing right now i think for me you know i'm coming at this from more of a enterprise angle rather than a kind of you know like saas high volume sales angle you know my background is working with organizations that are doing you know let's say 100 deals a year but those deals are worth many millions of dollars versus doing you know millions of 129 dollar a month deals and when you're coming at it from that angle from kind of let's call it enterprise for the sake of this conversation i think the biggest challenge is bringing together the kind of marketing and the sales functions into a cohesive commercial engine you know what i see is broken in a lot of these types of organizations is you know marketing exists over here and they're there to do a lot of kind of top of funnel awareness building stuff to get leads into the funnel sales is on this side and they're there to take those leads from marketing and give them a call send them an email gauge interest and you know take them on that buying journey and in the middle you have some sort of kind of handover process where the two teams come together but that's really all it is it's a it's a handover process and otherwise you know you should just consider them two independent entities for me that is increasingly becoming a problematic way of running a modern day b2b organization because it it starts with the assumption that there is a marketing journey and that there is a sales journey when there isn't there is the customer journey and that customer journey is a series of moments where you need to be providing information in the right format at the right time you know you could have a b2b buyer who knows exactly what they want and they know exactly who they want to get it from and all they need to do is hit a talk to sales button and ask where you know the invoice is going to be sent to you'll have other buyers who you know may have 100 plus different touch points with your organization over a significant amount of time and you know maybe they start by reading a blog and then they speak to sales and then they you know retreat a little bit and then they watch one of your webinars and then a year later they're signing a deal 
B2B organizations need to be prepared for all of those different eventualities as prepared as they can be. And that is a very, very hard thing to do when you have a marketing and a sales team that are disconnected from one another. You know, some businesses try and get around this problem by throwing a chief revenue officer above two departments. And they say, well, there's one leader now, so that should fix the problem. And it can do, but that person really needs to be a unicorn. And there's not too many of those running around. Uh, they need to deeply understand marketing and they need to deeply understand sales and how the two functions can marry up most cohesively. What typically happens is you get a sales-driven individual put into a chief revenue officer position and not throwing shade or anything, but they will focus predominantly on the sales because that's what they understand. And you know, marketing will you know still continue to take a backseat. So in fact, I think you need to bring on a head of sales and a head of marketing. They need to be aligned on objectives. They need to share common goals and targets, but they need to be empowered and on equal footing to do their jobs. Yeah, I love that. I've seen that so many times with the chief revenue officer coming from a sales background and then everything is sales powered and marketing is just this becomes a support function and you just kind of have to fight the good fight to try to get marketing into the room uh which is a very hard challenge if there's if the leader is the person who is making all the calls exactly you need you need leadership on both sides of the table that are given equal footing within the organization you know they both have seats at that executive table or at that leadership table because when you position one higher than the other essentially what you're saying to your business is we value one more than than the other and that's uh if you really want marketing to to work for you which you know increasingly it's going to have to because b2b buyers are changing as we've already talked about and a lot of the ways that they want to buy now lend themselves more to marketing tactics then you know you need to communicate to your business that not just by saying but by showing you know we value both of these functions equally and we're going to put in place the infrastructure to support that what is a marketing kill hill you would die on today if there's one thing or two things obviously that could change because marketing so fast moving but what is something you would die on today creativity and creative matters far more than you would expect it to and it used to within b2b there is just so much crap out there in terms of visual and aesthetic material and there's a huge opportunity in place for brands that decide to put serious budget and uh, investment behind developing their their brand style and how they represent themselves visually within the market. I think, you know, if you're building out a marketing team, a designer or a group of designers um, that encompasses also, you know, video, illustrative, audio and what have you, they need to be considered a critical function within within your business, um, within your marketing marketing function. Because you know they're, they're what's going to give you the edge over competitors. One thing that I also see in B two B marketing is when budgets are scaled, creative team resources are never scaled. So when you want to scale Facebook budget and test more ads or te- or scale other channels, you don't have the resources to start 
doing cool stuff. So you do this cookie cutter thing on every single channel because you don't have resources to duplicate those efforts on each channel, which get screws a lot of channels up. And then you're overspending for no reason on those other channels. Exactly right. Exactly. And, you know, there was a study that came out, I think it was the LinkedIn B2B Institute last year, which, you know, they'd analyzed 16,000 different pieces of B2B ad creative on, on LinkedIn. And they found that, you know, 75% of them or more were considered based on a scale they had developed almost entirely ineffective. And that was attributed to the how poor the creative uh, was. So essentially what you're looking at here is, you know, 75% of ads that are being published by uh, B2B companies on LinkedIn are driving absolutely nothing in terms of value. And that's a huge, you know, if, if we're in a world now where we need to be considerate, you know, more so than last year of, of budgets and, you know, getting that ROI, uh, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and by the way, you know, these, these designers, illustrators, you know, they don't need to be internal to your organization. You know, if you are a smaller company, you know, building out a marketing team, commercial function from scratch, you can look and you should probably look if you want to get scale to outside resources that are, you know, readily available. You only need to go on a Twitter for an hour and put out a call for designers. I did it myself about three months ago. I got hundreds of responses from really high caliber talent. So if you're a bit worried about committing to bringing someone in-house to to lead your creative department, let's call it, then you know just bring someone on on a short-term basis and you'll see you know it will deliver value and then some uh, very quickly. That's a good point. I think a lot of people don't think about the outside resources that could help. And there are some amazing freelancers and amazing graphic designers out there that have experience in your industry that could duplicate great ads for you. Um, so I know it's tough to predict what's going to happen, but what is one marketing trend you're seeing right now that marketers should jump on? Oh, I'm going to be really cliche and I'm going to say TikTok <laughs> because, and I know, you know, it, it is cliche because, you know, it's kind of when I'm spending my time on Twitter and, you know, people bring up TikTok and, and B2B, it's kind of looked at as like that, is it Steve Buscemi meme, you know, hey kids, uh, when he's coming into the school and he's got like kind of a skateboard on his back and he's like a really old guy. It's like old B2B companies just trying to, you know, appeal to Gen Z by, by, by getting on TikTok. But I, you know, I recently have started using TikTok myself and talking about kind of B2B marketing trends and tips and tricks and what have you. And the engagement you can get on there after only, you know, 10, 15 videos I think I've posted is crazy, like thousands of views, hundreds of likes and comments. The opportunity there to kind of get ahead of the curve, get ahead of the pack of brands that are starting slowly, but they are starting to get onto TikTok that opportunity window is still there. And, you know, going back to my point about creative, that platform affords B2B companies to really push the limits of their creativity. Because if you're just creating content for LinkedIn and Twitter and then throwing it onto TikTok, you are going to fail miserably. You know, if you want to give yourself that challenge, if you want to throw down the gauntlet of how can I push my team to be creative within this organization, task them with setting up a TikTok profile and creating content every day for three months. And, you know, you'll start to see the, the, the results. 
Yeah, and I also saw a stat, I think yesterday, that 51% of TikTok users are 30 plus. So if you're thinking it's just a young platform, you're actually pretty wrong because that's half the platform is 30 years and older, which is crazy to look at. I did an interview on my podcast with a guy called Jonathan Ronzio a year and a half ago. And I talk about this all the time because what he said with me really stuck. And Jonathan is the CMO of Trainual. They do kind of like playbook management software. And he said something on my interview, which was like, you know, as a brand, they are passionate about finding opportunities to occupy the time their customers are spending online when they clock off from work. And if you go and you put a lot of money behind Instagram ads or Facebook or LinkedIn ads that are pushing, you know, a link to a white paper that you've created and I'm there at home in bed at 10 o'clock at night and I'm looking at it, I'm not going to download it because I've been working all day. I'm tired. I don't want to be thinking about work anymore. You know, if I'm on TikTok and I see a video from a B2B brand who have, you know, taken the time to create something that makes me laugh or makes me think or makes me feel something, you're damn right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. You know, the Trainual example, they cut together a, an amazing 60-second clip of some of the cast of The Office semi-reprising their roles to talk about the product uh, that Trainual have developed. Only 60 seconds, they published on Facebook and Instagram. It was really funny. You know, the day after I called up Jonathan, I was like, we need to talk about this on my podcast. And, you know, he went and told me some of their results. They got 2 million impressions, 2,000 new accounts. And it was just a great example of how they had thought outside the box to occupy the time of their potential buyers outside of working hours. So, yeah, that's, I think that's a good place to start from if you are a brand and you're, you know, trying to experiment a little bit with creative, experiment a little bit with these new platforms. Don't just think about how you can deliver value between nine to five. You know, what can you do when someone uh, closes their laptop for the day? I'm hearing some really great things right now about Decibel. Their team is making it easier for marketers to create audio advertising that gets you in front of your customers and gets you noticed. Their platform with human and AI voices already baked in allows you to reach your audience at scale across almost all digital platforms. And for me, the powerful pixel for conversion attribution is one of the best features out there. Visit decibelads.com and launch your campaign in less than five minutes. Use the code millennials to get $100 in credits towards your first campaign by heading to decibelads.com. A lot of people don't think about how can I get this shared in a group chat with my friends? Because I think when you saw the office thing, you wanted to probably share it with a couple B2B marketing people because you're like, oh, this is cool. Like, I've never seen something like this. This is out of the box. Like, And you should probably share it. I mean, you went to the, the person who did it, the creator of it, and said, how did you do this? So if you can figure out how I can share this, because a white paper, I don't think I've ever shared a white paper with anybody <laughs> in my entire life. Um, I don't think anybody would love like me if I shared a white paper with them. But if I share them a quick TikTok, they don't care. Um, or a quick, like, one pager or something that's easy to consume they don't care so it's also think you i like to also think about like how can i get this shared by a couple people because i'm already getting guaranteed distribution to my audience when i'm doing paid for example like how could i get more distribution to other people 
when I'm getting getting that guaranteed distribution. I mean, it's it, dark, dark social, right? It mm-hmm. exists. It's not just on social media networks. You know, it is anything. It, it is word of mouth. You know, it is anywhere that your content or your brand is being talked about and shared in platforms that you can't track. It's a hard one for executive teams to to kind of get their to wrap their minds around because you want to see that clear line between expenditure and return on investment. You know, if you're a CEO or a CFO, you know, I'm giving Jason 50 grand to go out there and start a TikTok channel. Like, what is that actually going to to bring me? If you can't use a piece of software or a tool to like truly measure the bottom line impact that that kind of platform has on your business, for a lot of companies, that's going to be a a death knell, right? Like, you know, it hasn't delivered us the business results we wanted. We can't see at least the business results we wanted. So we're going to kill the idea. So yeah, finding those organizations that actually believe that this new approach and this new way of thinking around marketing across dark social channels, those are the kind of organizations that I want to work for. And uh, and a lot of my, uh, my kind of peers and colleagues that I speak to on Twitter and LinkedIn every day um, do so as well. Dark social is definitely the place where people are hanging out right now, what you just said, like what are people doing after work? And I think capitalizing that attention is where people should be looking now. I just hope to not too many people start flooding that space. And then they're trying, everybody's trying to do it. So I'm happy that a few are doing it right now. It's like profit. Well, right. We talked about a little bit earlier, they have built a kind of media engine right? They've been investing in developing these, you know, quote unquote, TV shows, pricing page breakdown, for example, protect the hustle, whatever, you know, they've been doing merchandise drops. They've been, you know, driving around the country in their van, um, interviewing amazing guests. And they did that after, you know, realizing that this kind of inbound content marketing approach where we develop a lead magnet and we just point a load of pay traffic to it in hopes that they download it. And, we have their contact details and we can put them into that sales funnel that has become saturated because any company can do that now you know you said so yourself Dan there's so much freelance talent out there nowadays if you want to get a white paper drawn up you can do it in a couple of weeks in a relatively cost effective way anyone can do it any company can do that and that's why there's just so much noise out there but the ones that are investing in the creative the ones that are thinking about how they can entertain alongside how they can educate the ones who are thinking about how they can deliver value 24-7, 365 days a year, the ones who are comfortable with not attributing every single dollar to the bottom line and taking a macro view and a long-term view of you know, how marketing can benefit a business, you know, they're the ones that are going to ultimately build a mode and stand out and, and survive. Well, how did your entertainer background cross over to B2B? Because did, how, what are those skills that you learned to capture an audience in real time transfer into marketing and sales that you, you've done? Obviously, you were in sales first, but what did you learn? Well, I haven't quoted any Shakespeare yet in any of my B2B marketing <laughs> content. Um, though actually, that is an idea. Maybe that's something I need to jump on. I did a lot of Shakespeare when I was at university. Um, the number one skill I picked up from my background in the world of theater, you know, it's probably the ability to improvise. We used to play a game and a lot of kind of management retreats. Uh, I think this game is on the agenda, which is called Yes And. 
And the idea is, is that you start a scene and no matter what happens, you just have to kind of go along with the story and how it develops. You can't say no, you can't put up any barriers that are going to kind of stop a sequence of events. So for instance, like we're at a bus stop, I walk on, I sit down next to the bus stop, then you, Dan, walk in and you say, I'm, you know, I'm here with my pet salmon. And you just kind of have to roll with it as weird and as obscure as that, as that thought is that someone would just be carrying a salmon with them to the bus stop. And that kind of like lack of restriction and, and freedom to just roll with ideas has been hugely beneficial to me as I've grown as a professional and I've been in responsible for leading creative workshops and building out marketing strategies. I don't say yes to everything because ultimately it's going to end up as like a diluted, unfocused mess. But in those early stages, when you're brainstorming and you're planning and you know, you're trying to think of ways to do things that are a little bit outside the box, getting comfortable with that idea of just exploring ideas as obscure as they may seem to a point where you can make a conclusive decision as to whether that will work, that won't work, or we need to test it to see if it will work has been hugely, hugely beneficial to me. And I always say to anyone, if you work in marketing, you will benefit from taking an improvisation class. Just go for a couple of sessions and your creativity, it'll make a huge difference to your ability to be creative. To be creative. Yeah, I love that. I think also that shows that you're getting outside of your box, uncomfortable, it makes you think. Because even me thinking about that made me uncomfortable just doing it, like thinking about doing it. So just like that one thing in marketing, you should be able to, because I feel like so many teams are just in a box that they can't just get out of. And it comes down to a leader to get them out of that box and say, but could you think about something outside that, not just what everybody else is doing? And then then it becomes like a thought experiment and not just like, what is everybody else doing? Definitely. It's got to come down from the top. And also it's not just like a marketing leader saying that within an organization, it's the, it's the CEO, right? It's whoever is sitting at the top and ultimately has sign off over a budget because a marketing leader could go into a business and say, you know, we're going to experiment and try all these new things out. And, you know, we are comfortable with the fact that some of it's not going to work, but we're happy to take that calculated risk. But then if they're sitting in front of a board at the end of the year and they're being asked to justify X spend that didn't generate any ROI and they're having their feet held to the fire over why they did that, 50-50, they get fired, right? Uh, So, you know, if you are in a business where you don't have that appetite for that experimentation or that understanding that marketing is equal parts art and science, you're going to have a tough time doing any of the things that we've talked about today, I think. Yeah, just... I spoke to Rory Sutherland and he, he says that the whole thing about nobody got fired by going with IBM, like nobody gets fired for making the logical choice. Like you could justify saying I did Facebook ads. I ran into a demo request because everybody else in SaaS is doing that or everybody else in B, but you can't justify driving a van around the country, interviewing people and it did nothing. And then, someone tells you, hey, why did you do that? Because it's not a logical choice. So people are just like, why didn't you do the demo request? Uh, Facebook, everybody's doing that. It's a game of diminishing returns, I think. You know, if you keep running the same playbook year after year, you know, what worked once will continue to work 
for a period of time, but gradually the graph is going to stop going up and to the right and it's going to start kind of plateauing a little bit. And then it's going to start going, you know, down and down and to the right. What I'm interested in is like, how do we help companies unlock that step change growth? So, you know, in the periods where we are kind of going gradually up, we're investing in new experiments and channels and creative and ways of trying to talk to our customers. That doesn't just mean we go up and to the right gradually, but we're making that big leap, you know? Um, it's almost like, a, you know, when you're looking at the graph, it's looking like a series of steps and you can kind of marry up those points where it jumps up in terms of performance to an experiment or a new channel or, you know, a new way of doing things. You know, with ProfitWell, like their CEO, uh, Patrick, you know, he was, he was the one in the van. Like he was the one driving around and doing these shows and clearly was very invested in doing that. And, you know, he's now walked away with a $200 million check. So, I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I love that. And the CEO was invested, which is great. Who is someone that's inspiring you in the B2B marketing space or people? Which markers do you look at mm. to get inspiration from? There's so many amazing people and I'm so I'm so thankful that two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I decided to get back onto Twitter and start the podcast and start the newsletter because it has been a phenomenal way of meeting and learning from people all over the globe. And I'd, you know, just take this opportunity to recommend to anyone who's thinking about jumping into these communities or creating content to, to do it because you don't need tens of thousands of listens every week to get value out of it. Some of the people that I've spoken to recently that have really inspired me, uh, Christina, that Christina G on Twitter, head of marketing Twitter. I interviewed her on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we talked a lot about you know building communities from startup to IPO, and she's seen it all. And she offered some really amazing wisdom on how you can kind of maintain the integrity and um, quality of a community whether you are a kind of two-person startup just engaging on Twitter or you are a 10,000-person listed company um, with, with, with hundreds, if not thousands of people in your community. Um, that was a really inspiring conversation. And then I would also say that Sonia Baches, Baches I think I'm getting that pronunciation right, um, who is the head of marketing for Atmos, um, which is a construction company based out of California. She really inspired me talking to her on my podcast the other day because you know she's built that marketing function up from scratch and has led the company through the seed investment. And the company's doing some really amazing things. And she talked a lot about how she's been leveraging the uh, power of local media to generate moments of virality um, for her organization. So you know, what could be considered quite a dry company is doing some really interesting things from a from a marketing standpoint. So I definitely recommend checking those two out uh, on Twitter. I know Christina G is amazing, so I get double done. I'm going to definitely follow Sonia because she seems awesome as well. But one last thing is, how can people find you? How can they find your newsletter? How can they find your podcast? I just want to give you time to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate it. So um, I spent an unholy amount of time on Twitter and you can follow me at Jason R. Bradwell. Um, I published a, a fortnightly podcast called B2B Better, which is all about helping companies navigate moments of change 
with marketing, you know, whether that's an acquisition, a merger, a new product launch, things of things of that nature. Um, and I also have a bi-weekly newsletter called the B2B Buy, um, which are really kind of, you know, actionable five-minute reads on on how you can uh, improve your B2B marketing game today. And the links for all of those uh, are on my Twitter profile at Jason R. Bradwell, or you can go to jasonrbradwell.com. That's my website and find it all there. Awesome. Highly recommend following getting on his newsletter he puts out great content especially if you're in b2b and i don't know many great b2b creators out there so you're definitely one of them so i appreciate that um well thank you for being on here i know you have to go and pick up the kids so i'll i'll chat to you so sometime soon thanks daniel cheers mate thanks so much for listening Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.